resurrection, which is what we are celebrating on Easter Sunday, that resurrection is not necessary at all if there's not a cross. If Jesus never died, why do we worry if he's coming out of the grave? On the other hand, on the other hand, if there is no resurrection, and Jesus just dies on the cross, it's nothing but a bunch of disgrace. It's just a shame that he died on the cross. That's why the gospel is not just a good man dying or just God raising up a man. It's so much more than that. The gospel is an actual, historical, truthful fact that God became a man and walked on this earth. That God, as He did that, did nothing but good and helpful and kind things and was loving in every way you could imagine, but was wrongly accused. Wrongly accused when He came here. The one who knew no sin was accused of the sin that we did by the ones who did the sin. And He was punished for those sins. Found guilty by man and judged harshly by God. Jesus dies on a cross, bleeds and dies, and he was buried in a tomb. But that grave, which is why we're celebrating today, that grave was not the end. The grave couldn't hold him down. It could not hold him down. Just three days later, I want you all to hear this, he got up on his own will, his own power, his own volition. Nobody had to help him. Nobody had to say, you could use a hand, sir. He literally said, I'm done, I'm up, and I'm out. He did this on his own totally of his own power. After that, hundreds of witnesses see him, and then not long after that, he ascends up into heaven where he is today. That's where he is right now, on the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us, praying for us, continuing to rule and reign the universe. That's what he is doing right now. What I just told you is the, the story that Isaiah is telling hundreds of years in advance of the suffering servant, those things that he would do. He didn't have all the details in there, but the arc of the story, that's exactly what he's telling here, that the suffering servant would do these things. The one who gave us at so great a cost the redeeming of us by the precious blood of the, of the, the blood of Christ as the lamb that was slain. If you want to look with me in Isaiah chapter 53, or rather 52, and I just want you to start there in verse 14. It's talking about the servant. You see in verse 13, he talks about, Behold my servant. And then in verse 14, he says this about him. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. You need to understand this about our Savior, Jesus Christ, that he was marred. His face was messed up. He was marred so that you and I could be holy. It says there that he, he was marred more than any man. The, the understanding of the, the account of the crucifixion was that he was beaten up so badly. Before he was even nailed to the cross, he was beaten up so badly, people couldn't even tell it was a, it was a human being. Like that's which person it was. They couldn't tell what he looked like. It was astonishing here that, that we might say astonished. They were stopped when they saw him. They were stunned into silence. They didn't even know how to react to him. They saw him and they said, oh my goodness. And it says there in verse 15 that he shall sprinkle many nations. The king shall shut their mouths at him. They don't even know what to say. They just hush. They just hush. 
But I want you to notice, I, I skimmed over very quickly there in verse 15. He says, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Don't, don't miss over, don't pass over that too much here. But I want you to understand this about our Savior Jesus when he was beaten. And every time he would be beaten, I don't mean to be gross, but I need y'all to understand that there would be blood that would spatter from his body if he would do that. So much blood that you couldn't have gone near him even as he made his way trudging with that heavy, heavy cross on his shoulder. You couldn't have made, been near him without getting a little bit of blood on your shoes or on your, on your, on your, your clothes of some sort. And I can, you better believe that whenever they nailed his hands to that wood, that there was blood that was spattering everywhere. And when they laid him down into that hole where that, that, that cross would stand erect, that he would be jarred and his bones would almost come out of the joints. That when he did that, that blood would have probably just shot everywhere. I can just promise you that anybody within earshot of this probably had a little bit of blood on them. I'm telling you that because that's an important picture in the Old Testament. That what the priest would do is he would spatter that blood. And that blood would make those, those the, the altar and make the sacrifice. It would make everything around it holy. It would separate it and sanctify it. And I want you to know that because my Savior bled and died and He splattered His blood everywhere, I can be holy today. While He was marred, I can actually look a whole lot like the precious Lord Jesus Christ. He looked, he looked like not even a man, but I can now look like the Savior because He did that for me. That's why over in Romans 8, Paul says in Romans that he, he, he foreknew us and He predestinated us to be conformed to the image of His Son. Because He was marred, we can be holy. But also, I want you to know this about Jesus, that He was abandoned. He was abandoned. But because He was abandoned, we can be known. Because He was abandoned, we can be known. See, in, verse, in chapter 53, in verse 1, He says, Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? You have to understand this about the Messiah coming, about Jesus coming. When He came, it should have been no surprise to anybody. It really shouldn't have been. In fact, the Jewish people at the time, they were all looking forward to a Messiah. They were all talking about it. When is He coming? When is He coming? When is He coming? Yet when He shows up, they're saying, not what we want. They don't even believe Him. Even though as Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 20, that His coming was predestined before the foundations of the world. This was something God had planned from the beginning. But the minute that He shows up, they say, I don't think I believe that He's the one. I just don't think I believe that He's the one. He goes on to say in verse 2, that He shall grow up before Him as a tender plant, as a, dry, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He was despised. And we have seen him not. He was weak. We looked at him and said, He's just not strong enough. We looked at him and said, He's not, he's not good looking enough. He's not powerful enough. He doesn't meet our standards of what we want from a, a leader, a king, a ruler, a Messiah. He doesn't fit our mold. And they, we, they literally did to him what the children of Israel did in, in the desert. They're out in the desert and they're begging God and they say, God, we want some food. Please give us some food. Please, any kind of food. We just want something to eat. We're hungry. And you know what God did? He gave them 
literally perfect food. It was delivered every day outside of their tent. It was perfectly nutritious. They needed nothing else but this food. It was there every day. They didn't have to ask for it or wait for it. They could get as much of it as they wanted to. It would never make them sick. It would never make them overly full. It would be perfect. And every, it tasted good. Everything. And you know what they did when they saw it? They knew what they'd asked for. They asked God for food. But you know what they did when they saw it? They said, the Bible tells us this in Exodus 16, I believe it is. They looked at it and said, what is that? What is it? They literally named it manna, which that word means, what is it? They said, I don't know what it is. And if I was God, I'd be like, well, what you ask me for, son? What you ask me for? Yeah, I'm a little sarcastic sometimes. God's not, thankfully. Sometimes I can be sarcastic. But that's what they did. Jesus, he shows up. He's exactly what the world is waiting for. The whole world is yearning for. Yet when he shows up, they reject him. But they reject him, and I want you to know that he endured our rejection willingly. It says there that uh, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, but he was, look at there, acquainted with our grief. Because he was rejected, because he felt our rejection, he knows now what we endure. We endure. He knows what we went through. He says that he, in Philippians, he says that he made himself of no reputation, and he took on the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the death of the cross. In other words, Jesus didn't say, didn't have this foisted upon him. I've had a lot of things in my life that people have made me do, and I've had to put up with it. Because I didn't have much of a voice or much of a pushback against it, I've had to do it because I was stuck. This is not where Jesus was. He did this because he wanted to do it. And when he did that, he was acquainted with our grief. He, he bore, in verse 4, it says, He's borne our grief and he's carried our sorrows. He knows what we feel. He knows what we're going through. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, that he is a high priest that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He's been in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He knows what you've gone through. He knows what you're feeling. He understands that. Why does he understand it? Because he was rejected. Rejected in a way I've never been rejected. Rejected in a way some of y'all have never been rejected. He's endured stuff that most of us have never even felt. Why? So that he knows exactly where we are. He knows us. He knows us at our worst, and yet he still embraces us fully. He did it for us. He was abandoned so we could be known, but he was also hurt so that we could be healed. Don't you see this in verse 5? In verse 5 it says that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was wounded because we broke the law. We broke the law. I broke the law. You broke the law. But he was wounded for that. It goes on to say that he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. He was beaten because we were perverse, because we were out of line with what was right, because this was where we're supposed to be and we're way over here. He took the beating for us. He was bruised. He was bruised for our iniquities. He says that the chastisement of our peace was upon him because he was punished we get to go free. We have peace because He took our punishment, the chastisement. He took that from us, for us. He took that for us so we get to go free. 
He goes on to say there, and y'all know this, by his stripes we are healed. Now that's a nice poetical line, but I want you to think about what that means. He's got stars on his back. Stripes across his back where they were beaten, where they were, where that, that, that cat of nine tails comes and crawls across the back and it leaves a star, a trail of blood on his back. That trail of blood on his back has made it so that you can be healed. You can be healed. I believe that this has a, a healing physical. I think it's a physical healing. We can actually attribute any physical healing and blessings God gives us because Jesus died on the cross for us. I think it's also spiritual healing. If God breaks you free from addiction, or God breaks you free from some sin that you have been, been beset by, or ultimately that ultimate sin that you need, the ultimate sickness of sin, He frees you and heals you from that. He has made it so that sin no longer weighs you down and burdens you any longer because of the scars that he took. And he says there, the last part of this, in verse 6, we're going to verse 6, talk about sheep were gone astray. The last part, it says, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. We all made a mess out of stuff. We went every which way, like he says, like sheep is going and scattering. But what the Lord did is take all of the wrong that we did and put it on Jesus. And it's because he was blamed for our wayward actions. We can be healed. He endured suffering. He endured pain to give us peace and to give us healing. He was also mistreated. You know that Jesus was mistreated? He was mistreated so that you and I could go free. Look at this in verse 7. He was oppressed. That, that you can put in the word unjust or mistreatment or any, any kind of word that they didn't do right by him. They lied about him. They railroaded him. You go back and look at the gospel account. They didn't treat him right. They broke every law imaginable. They did not treat our Lord right. They did it wrong. But he stood there. What did he say there? He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Now, I want to say this about not not like Jesus. I want you to know that Jesus was a man. I'm talking about a man like y'all think about a man. He's a man. Don't you understand this? He's not standing there and saying, well, okay, whatever y'all want to put. He's not, he's not some pushover. You understand that about Jesus? He wasn't pushover. I know he wasn't pushover because he would, he'd give them Pharisees a what for when it's time to give them a what for. He gave it to them. He did. He told us. Remember when he told Peter that one time? He said, Peter? No, he didn't call him Peter. He said, Satan, get behind me. So I don't think Jesus had a problem saying what needs to be said. Why is it that he is standing here, they're lying about him, they're running him up the road, why is he not saying anything? Why is he as brought before a lamb before the slaughter, as a sheep before her series is dumb, he opened it's not his mouth? Why is he not saying anything? Do you know why he's not saying anything? Because he ain't there on his account. He's there on my account. And I've got nothing to say. I've got nothing to say because they're right about me. They're right about you. Because Jesus is sitting there saying, I'm not speaking for me because he's God. He doesn't even, uh, y'all know the song, he could have called 10,000 angels, you know, that, that song they sing. That's a true song. He could have done any of that. God, he didn't have to do it. He didn't have to stand there and take it. Snap his fingers, those little fellows. He ceased to exist. But he stands there and takes it. He is mistreated. He's punished. He takes it. He has nothing to say because he knows he is going to a death that we deserve. He knows that he has no appeal to the 
sentence is being laid down, even though if I were there, I'd say, please go easy on me. Give me, give me you know, a little extra. I'll spend some time in jail. Just don't crucify me. Or maybe just tie me up on that cross. Let me hang there for a little bit. Maybe then I'll learn my lesson. I, I beg for Peter. I beg for mercy. Is what I would do. But he doesn't do that. Why? Because that was a sentence that we deserve, and he's taking it for us. Even in verse um, in verse nine, he talks about that he made his grave with the wicked and in the rich in his death, because he had done no violence and there was any deceit in his mouth. You do know that he, as Paul writes in Philippians, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That's the way Paul writes it. We say it another way: Jesus is God. Jesus is God. That means that if there is any wealth, not only is it His, it is His. He made it. He invented it. Y'all sitting back there with your million-dollar bank accounts, and God is up there, and He's saying, "I made all of this stuff." Y'all think you're rich. I got it all. It's mine. Some of y'all might think, or, and I say some of y'all, maybe it's not y'all, but somebody in this world thinks, I am somebody. They need to live. Don't you know? Y'all ever heard people do this? Don't you know who I am? I, I'm, sure, I'm sure some of our law enforcement friends hear this all the time. <laughs> Get pulled over. Don't you know who I am? Or I'm so-and-so. I'm, I'm this senator. I'm that, that you know. We all try to pull the position card, don't we? We try to pull the position card. But I want you to understand that Jesus is God. There ain't no position higher than God. He's all the way at the top. There's no manager to talk to. You talk to God. He is the one in control. He's over it all. He's got it all. So I'm telling you this, that what he's not doing is going in there and saying to this, this joke of a court, don't you know who I am? Don't you know who I am? Why? Because my position doesn't save me. And he is offering himself in my place. He's not saying, don't you know how much money I have? Because my money ain't going to save me. And he's coming in my place. I'm trying to get you to see that no wealth and no position is ever going to save him. And he was not willing to pull his forward to save him from the shame and the degradation that we carry. Please understand that what Jesus did is he suffered in my place. He took your punishment. He bore your shame. He took what I deserve. And he let me go free. He was mistreated so that I don't have to have death, that I don't have to have bondage, and I don't have to have shame. Now, all of that is prelude. I always hate when preachers do this, but that was my introduction. It was, really. But this is, I got one point and one point only. Okay, that was all the prelude to get you to this point. This passage feels like a bunch of. It feels, if, you, if you read Isaiah 53 and you probably read it before, you're like, you know, that's, I'm glad he did that for me, but man, it's so defeated. I mean, he's bruised, he's beaten. Oh, oh, he's silent. But I skipped over my beginning verse because I, I wanted to kind of get you back to verse 13 of chapter 52. This is, if you want to think about, they were back in, in school where they told you to write a, uh, an introductory sentence or paragraph for that paper. That's what this sentence is. That's what this verse is. This is the introduction. Look at what it says here. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. 
Now, we don't talk like this in 2022. I understand. So let me try to help you understand what he's saying here. He says that he's going to deal prudently. He says, my servant is going to be successful. He's going to accomplish what he sets out to do. He says that he is going to be exalted and sold very high. He is going to be given a name which is above every name. He is going to be lifted up. All of that is to simply get this point across to you that as much as he was mistreated, as much as he was marred, as much as he was hurt, as much as he endured all of those things for us, he was victorious so that we can be saved. He overcame so that we could be saved. That despite the suffering, despite the pain, despite all of those things, this passage is really a passage of victory. It's a passage of victory. Because his name is above all names. I want you to go down to the text where we left off in verse 10. It says there, it pleased the Lord to bruise him and to put him to grief. Go on down to the last part of the verse. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And go on to verse 11. And he shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. All that is to simply say that when Jesus died on the cross, he bled, he suffered, he took your sins and my sins and carried on himself. And he gave up the ghost and he said on the cross, it is finished. When he said that, the Father looked down and said, that'll do. That'll do it. I'm good. I'm happy. I'm satisfied. I am propitiated. I am done. I'm satisfied. I've got what I need. Everything is taken care of. Every demand that the Father ever gave for your sin and mine was met at the, at the cross of Calvary. He paid the price, every price that ever needed to be paid, every penalty that ever was ever put out there, every bit of it was taken care of at the cross. My family sings a song called The Last Blood. And it reminds me of this thought. It's the whole point of that song. That there are all these sacrifices that were offered, and even Jesus dying on the cross, splattering blood. So when Jesus died, and he gave up the ghost, and he said it was finished, that was the last blood that was ever needed to be shed for my sin and your sin. <laughs> and here's the thing. When you win, when you win, when you win, you get the spoils. To the victor goes the spoil. Jesus is the victor, and he gets the spoil. That's why when they went into that tomb on that Easter, first Easter morning, that angel had to say, Fear not me, for I know that you seek Jesus who is, who is crucified. He is not here. He is risen. That's why he got up out of that grave. Paul says it this way in Romans. He says, he was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. That that is literally what he got because God was so satisfied with what Jesus had done on the cross. It was like, let's go. Let's get up out of the grave. We're back. We're ready. He wins. And it's all victorious. And his, his, his resurrection essentially just puts that big exclamation point on the cross to say, it is absolutely finished. Death can't even hold me now. We're done. We're done. It goes on in verse 10, I want you to see this, that it pleased the Lord to bruise him and put him to grief, that he shall make a, his soul a sacri- an offering to sin. He shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days. Because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, we get life. We get prolonged days. 
He goes on in verse 11 to say that he shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. God, God the Father looked at what Jesus did and said, there's no more work needs to be done. I know some of y'all, and I'm going to tell you, I'm talking to you. I know some of y'all think you've got to do all kinds of things to make God happy with you. I want you to know Jesus already made it done. He got it done on the cross. There's no more work that has to be done ever, ever, ever again. It's already all satisfied in Jesus. And he goes on in verse 11 to say that by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, he shall, for he shall bear their iniquities. He saved me. My sins are gone. My sins are gone. He's justified me. I can stand right now. If I were to die right now and go to heaven right now and have to stand before the Father right now, I'm going to tell you right as I think about it, I've got a little fear and trepidation in my soul because I'm thinking, man, I sure need to get that fixed, and that's right. <laughs> but as I say it, I have to admit, I know that when I would stand before the Father, He would look at me and say, well done. Because I'm covered in the blood. I'm seen through the lens of the blood. I'm not seen through my actions. I'm seen through what Jesus has already done. And He justified me. And y'all think God ain't good? Listen to this. He's already saved me. He's already gave me eternal life. He is already, he has already finished the work, so I don't have to do anything else. But I want you to look what he says in verse 12. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he will poured out his soul into death and his number with the transgressors. Transgressors. He says, I'm going to give him a portion. I'm going to give him an inheritance. There's another word for portion in the Bible. I'm going to give him an inheritance. You know what I get because he died? Not because I, I ain't done anything. All I've done is said he did it for me. But because he died for me, you know what I get? I get an eternal inheritance in heaven. I, the way that, once y'all hear this, what Peter says, he says, Blessed be God, which has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Did you know that because Jesus died on the cross, I am not only saved and free from my sins, I have a future home in heaven that cannot be taken away, that will not be tarnished. It will be exactly what Jesus has gone to prepare for me. I've got that waiting for me, and ain't nobody going to be able to take it away. Nothing anybody, myself included, can do to make me lose it. It's never going away. He settled it on the cross. I get that because He did that for me. Now, there's only one way that you'll ever be anything special. To be holy and consecrated to the Lord. There's only one way you'll ever be truly known and understood. To be truly and fully loved for who you are. There's only one way to be healed from the damage that sin has caused in your life. There's only one way to be free from the bondage that you deal with. There's only one way to be saved. To have your sins truly forgiven. And that is through the suffering servant who died on the cross for you. A man named Jesus. Now, if he didn't die and he didn't raise again, Paul says, if that's not true, we're men most miserable. But if it's true, oh my, if it's true, I not only have life, but I have it more abundantly. I'm close with this. One of the fellows that I like to listen to from time to time is a preacher by the name of Alistair Begg. Um, like a lot of his approach to things, he's a Scottish. Scott, he's a Scott. He's Scottish by uh, by birth, 
but he's a preacher and a pastor in Cleveland, Ohio, currently. And um, he asked in one of his sermons that I was listening to a little snippet of, he asked the question, he said to the, to the congregation, I'll ask you the same question. He says, um, if you were to die right now and go to heaven, you would have faced some kind of inquiry, like, why are you, why do you deserve coming here? What are you, how are you doing here? Why, why are you coming? I like the way he put it, he says that if any of your answers include a first-person response, something like, because I believe, or there's one time that I have faith, or I'm continuing in the faith, or anything else of I, 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 he says you missed it. And I just want to let you know, you're right, he's right, you missed it. If your answer is you've done anything, you missed it. He recounts the story of the thief on the cross. You know that when Jesus was crucified, there were three crosses, two, two true-to-life criminals, and then Jesus, we understand to be the one in the middle. And one of those, uh, one of those uh, criminals, the thief on the cross, he, uh, we understand that he went to heaven. The Bible tells us that he went to heaven. And, and Pastor Bell was, was, was sort of imagining what it might be like to that, that thief goes to heaven. Now, understand, this guy, he's no religious upbringing. He didn't go to church anywhere. Nobody, I mean, all he, his only encounter was Jesus on the cross. He's dying on the cross, and then his next breath is in heaven. And the angel says, now, why are you going to come here? And I can imagine that thief said, I don't know. I don't know. Why am I here? Uh, and the angel might say, well, 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 um, you go to church somewhere? No, I was, I was actually hanging on the cross last time I, last time I checked. I was, I was suffering for my own sins that I, that I deserved to, to try to be punished for. So I really wasn't a very good person. But what about, what about your doctrine? Do you believe in the doctrine, doctrine of justification by, by faith alone in, in Christ alone? I don't even know what that is. I've never heard of that before. And he said, um, well, what is it that you, why are you here? What do you know about the Bible? <laughs> never read it. Don't know anything about it. So why are you here? Well, the man in the middle cross said I should come. What he said, and he's saying that because he says, verily I say, Jesus is talking to that man, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So that man liberally could say to, the, to whoever would be vetting the entrance to heaven to say, the man in the middle cross said I should come. And if y'all don't want me in here, you'll got to take it up with him. All of that is to simply get across to you. Jesus said, you could. Jesus said you could. That's all you got. That's all you got. You have hope. You have victory. You have a future. You have a place. You have a position. Because the suffering servant secured it for you and gave it to you. You say, well, man, I ain't good enough. I didn't ask you if good enough, but Jesus is good enough. Yeah, I ain't done enough. No, you ain't done enough. Jesus has done it all. Uh, you don't understand. I'm, just not, I'm not sure if I'm ready. Jesus has already done it. All you have to do is take it. He's already said, you can. Jesus said, you can. He's secured it, and he's given it to you. He's got the victory. Won't you take it from him? I'm going to ask you to stand. We are going to have communion before we go home. But before we do that, I'm going to have a brief invitation. Because as I've preached the gospel to you, as I've shared this with you, I want to give you, as I believe it is the biblical pattern, any time that the gospel is clearly presented, and I try to be as clear as I can, 
The biblical pattern is that you're offered an opportunity to respond to it. I just want to urge you, if you have never been saved, if Jesus is not your Savior, if you cannot with good conscience say that heaven is your home, I am as plain and clear as I know how to do it, saying, please come, and I want to show you from the Bible what that means. I want you to see what that looks like. I want you to hear it. I want to show you, because I want you to take what Jesus has said for a face value and just grab a hold of what he said and say, Jesus said I should, so I'm going to take it. I want to invite you. There are others of you here that are already Christians, and I want to let you know that you may need some freedom right now. You may need some help. You may need some hope. You may need some healing. And I want you to know that Jesus said you could. Jesus has already given it to you. He's already offered it to you. Your job is to simply raise your hand to Him and say, please help me, Lord. So y'all need to come and ask the Lord for the help that you need. He suffered so that you could have it. Don't stand there and suffer through it on your own. Help reach out to Him. He will help you. I want to offer that time to you. So would you close your eyes and bow your head as you play, contemplate what's been said, and you respond as the Lord moves you.